Hello and welcome back to Sci-Fi. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury. I want to tell you a little bit about Carolyn Wilcox, my guest this week. She and I were actually on a podcast together years ago called Podcast to the Past. And it was all about the production of an up-and-coming sci-fi web series called Causality. I was the composer and she was an actress. She and I loved talking to each other about science fiction on this podcast. We actually met uh, during a podcast recording, I believe, if I remember correctly. And we had such a blast. So the the web series has still yet to be released. Uh, I've been detached from the project for quite a while. And the podcast actually continued without either Carolyn or myself. Uh, the producers of the show decided to go a different way with the podcast. And actually, that was a big part of why I decided to start podcasting. Years went by, and I'm like, man, I really miss podcasting. It was so much fun. And the most fun that I had podcasting was definitely the conversations I had with Carolyn. It never even occurred to me to invite Carolyn on this show until recently, I have no idea why. I mean, I'm 79 episodes in at this point. I can't explain why it never occurred to me. But I finally got around to it because she wrote to me the other day and she was starting a post-apocalyptic science fiction blog and she wanted some feedback on it. It's like, holy fuck, why don't you come on the podcast and we'll talk about it. The resulting conversation was fantastic. We talked for, uh, I think, like two and a half hours. I'm going to bring you about an hour of it today and the rest of it next week. So in this episode, we talked a lot about Doctor Who, actually, because she went to school with John Barrowman, who played Captain Jack Harkness in Doctor Who and Torchwood. The stories she told about that are super fun coming up in this episode. We got to talking a little bit about post-apocalyptic fiction and what she's doing with her blog. Most of that discussion will be coming at you next week. Uh, so yeah, get ready to meet Carolyn Wilcox, an awesome person, fantastic science fiction fan, uh, a very knowledgeable science fiction fan also. So I always love sitting down and shooting the shit with someone who knows their shit about sci-fi. One of my favorite things, bringing it to you. Here we go. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. How did you get into acting? How did I get into acting? Oh, good God. That was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, my very first play, I was five. Um, wow. But that wasn't really, I think, probably the, the when it became like kind of a serious idea in my head, this is kind of embarrassing, but it was kind of due to science fiction. Really? So, um, yes. And I like... I'm almost a little bit embarrassed, but it was the summer that E.T. came out. <laughs> and uh, I was just so blown away with uh, little Henry Thomas and like what a good little actor he was. Yeah. And that was I had just finished my. Did I just know? I think I was going into seventh grade, which was the first year of junior high for me. Mm -hmm. And uh I just was so blown away with his performance in E.T. because I was a little acting critic at 12. <laughs> and um, there were auditions coming up for the fall play. And so I'm like, ooh, I'm going to try that. And there was like kind of a big part. Like I was short, so I always got cast as the little, little kids uh -huh. when I was about that age. And there was the it was this play called I Remember Mama. 
And there was the youngest sister, Dagmar, who was like 10 years old, I think, in the in the show. Or maybe she was eight. But it was like the auditions were up against me and another girl. And we went back and forth like the, the acting teacher just could not decide on which one of us. And so she brought like three or four different teachers in and each of them gave a vote and I lost. Oh, yeah. But she made like a little, you know, walk on part for me anyway as kind of a consolation prize. So that was sort of my first, you know, real play that wasn't like I'm a kid. thing. <laughs> Um, and then like, so all through junior high, I just kind of, I did theater and, um, and then I kind of fell out of it for a while and then fell back into it. Yeah. And then, you know, kind of was more serious about it in high school and, and did it more, uh, and then went to college and got my bachelor of fine arts in theater. And then I didn't do it anymore. Really? <laughs> like six years. Yeah. Oh, wow. I was like, fuck this. I hate, <laughs> you know, it just, I think part of it too, is that like, you know, I went to undergrad in Southern California in San Diego. Oh, um, you knew this. I'm sure I did. I have forgotten. a terrible yeah. memory. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wait, where did you go? Hi, you probably have never, well, maybe you've heard of it. It was a school in Scripps Ranch called United States International University. I've never um, heard Which of that. I think it's called Alliant University now. Like it, I've heard of that. Switched hands. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Um, but at the time, it had a school of performing and visual arts. Like uh -huh. Jamie Foxx was in my class. Really? Uh, well, he was, no, he was a year older than I, than I was. So yeah. he, was, he was a year ahead. And his name was Eric Bishop back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, John Barrowman also. No. Yep. I, I went did to you hear Torchwood season five is happening? I did not. It no. just got announced like yesterday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm in love with John Barrowman. I think he well. is fucking awesome. I just rewatched season one of Doctor. You're only one degree of separation, then. That's very exciting. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> have you, stories. Can dude. you send him my fan art? Um, <laughs> and I, I must hear your John Barrowman stories. Oh my god. So he was he was a, I think he was a junior when I came in as a freshman. Uh huh. And so he was a couple years ahead of me and. Uh, Interestingly, like my one of my stories was like because I, I was, of course, like the, you know, the underclass grunt my first and second years. And I just did right. like the You know, you had to do your practice, your tech practicum. But I was dressing and he was in a production of uh, what was it? My Fair Lady that we did at the, the theater in Old Town uh -huh. <laughs> back when that used to belong to our school or we rented it out or something like that. And uh, I remember coming out, the show was over one night, coming out into the lobby and hearing him on the payphone because, uh -huh. you know, this was olden times. <laughs> and uh, he was talking in a Scottish accent. <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck is that about? And like, he was like, no, 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 duh. So I was like, oh, is he talking to his dad or something? That's weird. I've never heard him talking in, or in a Scottish accent before. What's up with that? <laughs> um, you know, and then he, he was you know, having conversation with his father and hung up. And then after he got done, he just, you know, he turned around and started talking to people in his, you know, what I thought his was his normal American accent. Right. Um, only to discover years later, because I didn't know him that well at school. Right. Um, but I guess he actually was originally from Scotland. Interesting. And, uh, I don't think I actually knew that. Oh, really? Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, uh, he came, I think they emigrated to this country like when he was maybe 10 or something. So, uh -huh. um, 
So I guess that's how he talks. You know, he still has that accent when he talks to his family. When he's probably very relaxed. <laughs> yeah, the, the put on <laughs> accent on. is yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, and you know, another thing about that, and this is sort of like the the John Barrowman USIU legend. Uh-huh. Um, because every year the the seniors would take a trip to the London campus um to do their senior uh quarter abroad. Okay. So that that was a, a school of performing and visual arts thing. So it was Barrowman's senior year, I think. Mm-hmm. And he had he went to the London campus. And as legend has it, <laughs> uh, the, it was the show Anything Goes on the West End. And apparently the guy who has third billing, I don't know the show because I'm not a huge musical theater person. Yeah. But uh, it was like Elaine Page and then some other guy were the top billing and then third billing was this American guy and apparently he was actually American but he had some visa issues. Uh-huh. John happened to be in London at this time and I don't remember how he got wind that there was this audition and he happened to be of course in the unique position of having dual citizenship. Oh yeah. And the you know the coveted American accent. Right. Um, but also had UK citizenship because he was Scottish. Interesting. Um, and the rumor was he only had like five minutes at the <laughs> at some bathroom of a cafe across the street from the theater to warm up. Uh-huh. And he went in there, blew him away. Wow. Uh, the following year, I went to London on my way to South Africa. Uh-huh. And I'm seeing all these posters in the tube of anything goes, Elaine Page other dude john barrowman like <laughs> this is the guy that used to dance in a leopard g-string backstage oh, what? like wow <laughs> that's the story i want to hear yeah well, <laughs> there was a lot of that really <laughs> oh yeah tell me more dancing and uh well he would he always wore like very brightly colored thongs underneath <laughs> his clothing just to yeah and uh so sometimes under like oh my god weird theater people are weird. Fuck I mean yeah. I guess artists are weird in Fuck general, yeah. but we, but but awesome. Like wh- why would yes. you want to associate well, with anyone exactly. who's not weird? Exactly. You know? Totally. <laughs> They're my people. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, oh god, I remember this this one day. It was also under stage at uh, My Fair Lady, uh-huh. and there was this. You know, the show would be going on up there and then everybody waiting for their cues and whatever. And sometimes there'd be a long way until you had to go up and and go on stage. And I just remember this one day, uh, we're all sitting quietly under stage in the in the cage, what we call the cage. <laughs> we're all just like, you know, writing and reading, whatever. Barrowman's sitting over there. He's got headphones on, listening to his Walkman. And all of a sudden, he lets out this huge fart. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, everybody, like, looks up, and we're all laughing. And he's still, like, reading his book. And then suddenly he looks up and sees everybody laughing. He's like, oh, what was that? Could you hear that? So that was that was a funny a funny John Barrowman story. But he yeah. was he was very much like a a clown, like huge big old gay clown. Except he wasn't gay at the time. Uh huh. Um, and he was dating this woman named Marilyn Marilyn Rising, 
And what it's a like, name. Yeah. And I had, you know, I had no gaydar at that time, but right. I was like, really? <laughs> um, but yeah, he just, he was always extremely, you know, he'd like take off all his clothes down to his very brightly colored G string and dance around backstage. Wow. And, or understage. That's awesome. But yeah, he was, he was a character. I, but he was always, you know, you hear st- stories about like, oh, this person was really nice. And though that person's kind of a jerk. But he always was like a really funny, genuinely nice dude. Yeah. He seems amazing. I've watched some videos of him doing Q&As at conventions. And there was one where he came out dressed in like the shortest shorts you've ever seen. I think he was dressed <laughs> that- as Zap Brannigan, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> Uh, but he was just like so giving to the fans because you see a lot of people get up there and right. they're just like they're just there for the paycheck and they just have to kind of sit through the Q and A. Uh, like I saw um, the the closest I've seen to that was when I went to a Star Trek convention in Vegas and saw Michelle Forbes talk, mm-hmm. and she didn't really seem very excited to be there, but she was great. I mean, she yeah. was she was good. Yeah. But then I saw you know Marina Sirtis and Brent Spiner get up there and they were just like hamming it up and wonderful and like really kind of. Um, giving the fans like something to bite to sink their right, teeth into, right. like to have a real experience, which was really cool. Uh, and then from what I've seen of John Barrowman, that's like definitely him. You know, he definitely see that. Yeah. Uh, appreciates where he's at and appreciates the fans and wants to give them a good time, and it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. That, you're you're into Doctor Who, right? Oh my god, I've I'm like I've been watching Doctor Who since I was like twelve. Awesome. <laughs> what are your thoughts on? On classic who versus new who? Well, I would say, you know, it, it's it's hard for me to say anything disparaging about old who because it's sort of, you know, it's it's very dear to my heart. For and, sure. Um, but that being said, I think just the storylines and the story arcs are just like so much better. And the know, new with stuff. With the new who. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, even the the stuff that's like not as good as some of the other stuff is still like better than most of the right the old who interesting i've never seen any old who i saw like oh, really? like 15 minutes of a of one of the very first episodes and i was like i can't watch this and turned <laughs> it off uh and that was before i got into doctor who at all and yeah. now i'm like i'm so into it now i actually since i saw you last i've watched all of the new who and now i'm going back and watching it again i just oh, finished good. season one well i remember it like we were through. always telling you like, yeah you you're need always to like, watch doctor who we're doing a time travel show you need to watch doctor who. <laughs> totally uh everyone was like referencing it all the time on the podcast and i had no idea what was going on but now i'm like super in love with it uh the new season has been fucking awesome so far so far yeah yeah every episode has been great the one with the girl who turned into a tree was a little wonky but still good <laughs> Uh, the first episode of the new season was fantastic. And I watched yeah. the first episode of class also, and I mm-hmm. loved it. It was so good. Uh, and I'm like, I haven't watched Torchwood yet. That's like mm-hmm. something I'm going to do on this watch through of Doctor Who. I'm going to, I'm going to put Torchwood in there also because I love Captain Jack. I just think Captain yeah. Jack's like the coolest character. <laughs> and I love John Barrowman in that part. And yeah. I love the fact that he's bisexual. I, that's like something that really stands out to me. Yeah. Uh, as being unique. Yeah. Uh, in, in science fiction, it's like you never really see like a handsome roguish guy hitting on everything. I mean, he's pansexual. He'll fuck everything. Like he'll fuck aliens. He'll fuck <laughs> like men, women. He doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's just so cool. He, he's such a <laughs> positive character, you know, like he's sort and of. And he's the, not, you know, I mean, he. Well, it, it's funny to say this and, and he's not 
as Jack, he's not effeminate at all. Right. He's just like, he's very totally. much like the alpha, you know, swashbuckling, charming. Totally. Kind of dude. As John, he's a little effeminate. For sure. I've um, seen, in the videos I've seen, he's very effeminate, <laughs> yeah. which actually I think works which really it, well it does, for the character. Yeah, it does. To, to like play it a little bit more like a Han Solo And, and that's rogue. who he is, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, like be, being like this roguish guy who uh, is just as attracted to the doctor as he is to Rose, I think is yeah. really cool, you know? I, re- I really liked that. The first time I watched Doctor Who, I didn't quite like it for a little while. Yeah. And it was when Captain Jack came in that it won me over. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I get into David Tennant, I was like fully in. Uh, but it was really interesting to watch the first season again. I just like Christopher Eccleston season again. Mm-hmm. I really liked it the second time. I really liked him as the Doctor too, mm-hmm. uh, which really surprised me because I didn't really like I, I for me, I, I kind of had to see two Doctors to understand the character, yeah. I guess. And really get the weight of the character and and the things about the character that are consistent versus what the actor themselves bring to it. Right. Uh, and I feel like Chris Ruxlin actually brought a lot more to it than I thought he did the first mm-hmm. time. Still my least favorite of the new Doctors, but that's, you know, like my least favorite of something amazing. Right, right. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Yeah. <laughs> who's, your, who's your favorite Doctor? <sighs> well, let's see. I mean, I have my favorite old school Doctor and my favorite new school Doctor. Yeah. And so, God, I, I hate to, to be cliche, but I've, I'm, I'm all about the tenant. Yeah. I love the tenant. Totally. Not that I don't like, I, you know, I've got a thing for Peter Capaldi too. And, yeah. you know, Matt Smith kind of brought it too. Yeah. Um, I actually have not watched all the Eccleston. Oh, really? Episodes. So at, at some point, whenever I get time, I will have to. Yeah. There's some really, that. there's some really good stuff in season one, but there's some big duds too. Yeah. There's, there's a couple episodes. Well, I'd like, be curious in watching his dynamic with Rose right. because it's like it, the whole Rose Ten thing kind right. of you know got a little eye rolly after a while for me. Oh, really? A little bit, yeah. Because it was mm. just like, well, not. I mean, like I think I thought the actors did a good job, but it totally. I don't know. As somebody who was like a longtime fan, yeah, it it just became a little bit juvenile after all, I guess. Interesting. Um, just because, I don't know. I remember being 12 and like kind of, because I think uh, Tom Baker and one of his companions, Romana, uh-huh. um, they actually were married for a while. Really? Yeah. So we were just like, ooh, Romana and the doctor. Ooh, <laughs> you know, like our little 13 year old imaginations, you know, and, there was absolutely like no hanky panky ever between the doctor and any of his companions right. in any of the old school episodes. So anytime there was like just a hint of something like me and my nerdy friends and our, you know, hormonal 13 year old minds, we're always trying to push it more into that direction. Right. And so I guess, I don't know if it was sour grapes or it just sometimes it felt like, like, oh, my God, everybody's in love with the doctor. Yeah. It just sometimes seemed to overshadow some of the actual story. I think I I think I understand what you're saying, because, well, for me, Rose was my first companion. And there's so much sexual tension between Eccleston and Rose and then Tennant and Rose. uh, They kind of expand on that sexual tension in a way Mm -hmm. because they're a little more like. They have a little more chemistry as actors, I think. Yeah. And I think that that kind of took the the tension to the next level naturally. Yeah. Uh, and I actually love where they went with it, which mm-hmm. I will 
uh, keep spoiler free because my girlfriend's watching this with me right now and oh, okay. I don't want her to know. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, she'll probably listen to this. Uh, but uh, but then you get Martha, who's like in love with the doctor. Yeah. And that's that's the moment where I kind of got eye rolly, where yeah. like everyone's in love with the doctor. Uh, but then I felt like Donna was perfect, you know? Yes, because like, she kind of took the piss out of him. Totally. Uh, Donna <laughs> might be my... Donna's very high up on my favorites list of companions. I really, 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 really love Donna. I And I get shit for that sometimes because yeah. <laughs> she's very divisive. But I, I felt like having um, someone with no no sexual tension and no real chemistry, but yeah. like just a great friend chemistry yeah. Yeah, with yeah, Tennant yeah, yeah. was the perfect choice to kind of counterbalance what they were doing i liked that she was a little bit older i liked that Mm -hmm. she wasn't cast because she was this like 20 year old bombshell because that's kind of i i get annoyed when i feel like people are cast based off of looks more than their acting skill and i i don't think that really happened on doctor who but i felt like uh you know uh i mean it happens in a lot of other things all the time yeah but but i still felt like it was a good to get someone a little bit older mm-hmm. as the companion yeah and i just think she's like like the whole dr donna storyline i think might be my favorite part of tenants years yeah I, that the way that his season his last season wraps up uh is just so incredible yeah so incredible that was one of the most emotional roller coasters i've ever been on it was <laughs> as far as tv watching goes uh and i you know i i'm with you too like tenants my favorite i love matt smith i love capaldi capaldi took a while to kind of they they found his voice in his second season. His first yeah. season, I feel like they didn't quite the writing wasn't quite right mm-hmm. for Capaldi. And he's just so good. Yeah, like he's just so good. Totally. And it's you know the thing that kind of is is a little uh, you know makes me a little flutter. I'm like a huge Craig Ferguson fan. Oh, and, I love uh, Craig Ferguson. Oh my God. He's fucking awesome. Awesome and just yeah. high fucking hilarious, but yeah. like in an oddball way, which I get. Totally. But and like he didn't even write, there was no writing on his show, right? No. He just winged he that. He winged everything. And it was always wanged. awesome. Yeah. He wanged it. He I don't wanged know. It. I winged it. Winged. What's the, I think it's winged. Wanged. Winged. He wanged it. He wanged alive. Wanged alive every night. <laughs> um, but he you know, he was a huge Doctor Who fan. Oh, like every once in a while he would he would like he had a TARDIS on his desk, and cool. like every he would geek out every once in a while. And like I think I know uh, Matt Smith was definitely a guest. But he and Capaldi actually used to be bandmates. What? Yes. No. So uh, I I don't know if he did a show with Capaldi after Capaldi became the doctor. I can't remember when he went off the air. Right. Um, and James Corden started doing the late, late show, but which is awesome. Cause James Corden was it, on yes, Doctor Who. I know, Craig. I know it's like that, that. The, those are my, maybe my two favorite Matt Smith episodes. No, that's, that's crazy. There's so many Matt Smith episodes that are so he good. The one with good Idris. Episodes. Yeah. yeah. The, I think the writing on, uh, that's when, um, what's his name took over, uh, as showrunner. How can I not remember his name? Uh, the I guy who runs yeah. Sherlock, he wrote a bunch of like episodes under Russell T. Davies. Oh my God, I'm just blanking yeah, on his too. name. I can see his face. I know his name very well. I Do we say, need to look it up? We might have to. We can just start saying names and see if we get <laughs> yeah. it. Like him being John Malkovich. Like, I know. P. Sean. I, I, I feel like, yeah, I. Matt Smith, Doctor Who showrunner. Let's see. Stephen Moffat. Yes. Got Stephen it. Moffitt. There it is. 
Sometimes the act of looking it up is enough without yes. getting, without actually looking it up, just holding a phone. Just knowing that you can. Yeah. Um, when Stephen Moffat took over, I like his first season with Matt Smith, I felt was just so fucking yeah. good. Like hit the, the I, writing on his season yeah. was awesome. I really loved, okay. I really, probably one of my favorite companions was River, River Song. Yeah. You want yes, please. I freaking loved Riverside. I love Alex Kingston. And I loved her whole arc. Yeah. From where we met her at her at her death. Oh my so god, in the library. In, in, in the Holy fuck. Tenant. That was so fucking good. That's an it's an amazing story. Like to see the end of a love story and then see two people who are experiencing it in opposite directions in time. Yeah. Fucking A. That was such an amazing arc. Brilliant. uh, And I think Stephen Moffat wrote that. Like, he planted River Song before he took over the show, which was really cool. I'm pretty sure he wrote the library episodes. Uh, Yeah, that's one of my favorite stories. I, it's like, in my mind, I think of her less as a companion and more of just like the doctor's love interest yeah you know like what, true, is, but true she was a love interest yeah like, totally but she e- was totally like a companion unequal i mean but the definition of companion that i've i've read up on this a little bit about <laughs> like when do you call someone a companion and when do you call them just like a, a passenger but right. basically like riding with the doctor on the tardis is kind of what is is uh one metric for that makes you a companion yeah and like going on an adventure with him so even that mm-hmm. guy in season one who they took to the future who like uh was an asshole they met him in the episode with the dalek and then the next mm-hmm. episode when they were at um uh like news station five or whatever it is in the future so technically he's a, comp- a companion even though he was right, only there for right. two episodes and was like a fucking asshole um <laughs> by the definition of like he rode with he the rode doctor in the TARDIS, he was right. invited by the doctor right, to ride right. in the tardis and that kind of makes him a companion but uh but yeah river song is amazing i loved um uh Amy Pond. I thought Amy Pond. Amy and Rory were great. And they, they were, were yeah. they were around for a long time, they like two and a half for seasons. A long time, yeah. And I felt like uh their chemistry with Matt Smith was perfect. I loved Clara. I thought Clara mm-hmm. was like uh an amazing way to go after Amy and Rory cuz they planted Clara early also. Mm-hmm. That's something I really like is when you plant a character as a background character and then bring them to the forefront later. Yeah. Like Chief O'Brien on Star Trek. <laughs> well, and and yeah, just being sort of confused about like, wait a second, but wasn't that the same actress in Totally. But, but like, and, and then her when name they, was different. You've seen her yeah. before, Doctor. Don't you remember her? Her name was different, but it, like a little bit similar, totally. you know? So like it was her like, middle name was the I'm, same. Yeah, I'm I'm confused yeah. like what's going on here. Yeah, totally. And then, you know, so I I enjoyed that arc. Yeah, I like that you know, a lot. Trying to figure out like the I forget what they called her, the something girl, the impossible the girl, impossible, impossible girl. Yeah, but it was so confusing <laughs> when they went into the doctor's time stream mm-hmm. and then found the war doctor, and then the very next episode they were just back at home on planet Earth. Yeah, because it was the 50th anniversary special. Yeah, that was so confusing. That's the only part in the whole run of New Who where I'm like. What the fuck happened? Like, you just didn't tell a critical part of the story. How did right. they get out of the Doctor's timeline? How did, like, uh, I mean, the whole thing about her splitting into these millions of impossible girls. Yeah. That's, like, where it happened. And they didn't really they explain didn't really, it. They didn't really, yeah. Yeah. It was, I don't know. It was, like, just enough, but not, not, quite, not quite enough. enough. <laughs> it was just less than enough to satisfy my, my need for, like, story continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Although I have to say, like, and... 
Tom Baker was not my favorite old school doctor. Oh. I know he's a lot of people's favorite because he was there for so long. Yeah. But I think he was my favorite part in the 50th anniversary Oh, yeah. Just that, that was great. Moment when he came in. It, it was, was just so like, cool. oh. I loved it. And I haven't seen any of his episodes, but I still recognized him. Yeah. Because he's so, his face is everywhere. And I... Uh, that's the first time I've ever seen him perform as the doctor was in that episode. Yeah. And it was really cool for me. I was like, this is fucking awesome. That 50th anniversary episode is so good. David Tennant and Matt Smith together. Like that was that fucking hilarious. When they pull out their, their screwdrivers and like the look on their faces, it's just like perfect acting. Like the look on Matt Smith's face when his screwdriver is bigger, he just has has this cocky look (laughs) on his face and his shoulders kind of bob back and forth. That's like, that made me so happy. I love that shit. That episode's <laughs> awesome. The War Doctor was awesome. Yeah. All of it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then that brings us to Bill, the brand new companion who I love. <laughs> I love her. Again, like switching up the the dynamic. Mm-hmm. Having first of all, having a gay companion is so exciting to me. Yeah. Like, uh, and the the way that they presented her as being gay was really great. Like mm-hmm. it was just she had this real genuine connection with this other girl in the first episode of yeah. season ten and and it kind of turned into this really like deep love story, uh, which was really cool. And like a story about loss. And I love that the doctor is her teacher in this season. Yeah. And they say it in every episode so far, he says to her, I'm your teacher, you know, and that's new. Like that's really different for the doctor to take someone under his wing and say like, I'm going to teach you something. Like he picked this person, you know, he, he's in this stuck in this university. He can't leave earth for whatever reason. He's like agreed to something. There's a pact. Uh, I love it. It's so great. And, it's and so that's, exciting. That's always a really interesting thing with companions and their doctors is when you have a companion who is the companion of one doctor and then the doctor regenerates. Yeah. And so the companion is now the companion of this new doctor. Yeah. And how that, you know, because obviously they're going to have different chemistry with that actor. and Right. And that's only for me. I've only seen that twice: once with right. uh, Rose and once with uh, Clara. Yeah, and it's like I remember, like Peter Capaldi, or uh, God, what is he? Twelve? Is he twelve? Oh my God, he's twelve. Is he twelve? Yeah, David Tennant's well, ten. Yeah, twelve. He's twelve. I mean, if you count the War Doctor, he's thirteen. Right. But, totally. Um, I, but okay, so officially he's twelve. Yeah. And so, I thought it was interesting that he and Clara didn't really quite mesh at first. Yeah. That was interesting to me. I liked that. I did too. I liked that. It made it so much more satisfying when they became a team. Yeah. In Capaldi's second season. I think that also, I liked that. I think that's also part of why Capaldi's first season was a little underwhelming for me Mm -hmm. uh, because I missed that. But I think that taking that away so that you can give it back was actually a really great story tool Mm -hmm. because Clara's... Uh, the way that Clara's storyline went was amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, Face the Raven, Heaven Sent, Hellbent. Well, I guess Face the Raven, then Hellbent, then Heaven Sent. I think that's the order. Mm-hmm. Those three episodes were some of the finest TV I've ever seen. Uh, the one where Hellbent, where the Doctor's alone in that castle. Mm-hmm. Like, holy shit. It was so good. <laughs> and in Face the Raven, when he's... Uh, I don't want to give any spoilers here, but in yeah. Face the Raven, when he's talking to Clara and you can see, like the pain in his face. That's, I think that's the episode. That's the moment where I was like, Oh my God, I love this doctor. Like I was iffy on Capaldi. Uh, and I liked him all season two, but then I loved him at that moment because I felt like showing in your face, 
that you're like thousands of years old and you've seen everything and like this is still and you still feel this level of pain when he feels pain it's so much deeper than when we yeah, feel pain you know because yeah, yeah. he's just got so much pain piled and upon pain and i think pain. with capaldi you know as, you as much it. as you i love pain. tenant and tenant's a great actor and matt smith was a great actor there's a gravitas yes with capaldi that you know just purely due to his age and experience you right. know that somebody younger is not going to be able to capture absolutely you know absolutely. and uh yeah, he just, ugh. It's like, I'm going to miss him as a doctor. Like, I think yeah. he's, he's just such a fine actor. Totally. You know? And his his wit is so sharp. Mm-hmm. And I think that his wit is coming out a little bit more in this new season. Every season that he's done this, he gets better. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because I feel like Tennant and Matt Smith kind of had it. Yeah. Initially. Yeah. Like, they came into the role and really had it. Yeah. And just ran with it. Uh, and I feel like Capaldi took some warm up time and I don't know if that's due to him or that writing or the directing or what, but, but it happened, you know, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So, but, but his, I feel like his potential is like so high mm-hmm. and I wish we could see him do it for like five years and yeah. really kind of maximize his potential. At the same time, I actually really like three years per doctor. I really like that yeah. because it feels fair and even, and mm-hmm. I don't like I don't like the idea of one doctor having more of a chance than another because mm-hmm. they're all so fucking good in their um, own way, in their yeah, own way. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then the switch of that is part of what makes the show brilliant is that mm-hmm. like every few years, the show is completely different. Every season, the dynamic changes. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes in very drastic ways. I mean, when Matt Smith came on, the whole idea of him being Amy Pond's imaginary friend was such, mm-hmm. such a huge change. And I think that that's something Stephen Moffat does really well mm-hmm. as a showrunner is that he changes the relationship of the doctor to the companion so drastically right. that the doctor kind of becomes a, a new version of himself, <laughs> yeah. even beyond having yeah. a new face, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is really cool. And like now he's the teacher. Well, and, that's and it, so it's neat. the interesting thing too is, and I, I think Matt Smith has said as much, but Matt Smith, I think like kind of was a little bit of a callback to Patrick Troughton, who was oh, doctor number two. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think he's even said as much like he, like he's kind of the, like more, of a physical comedian yeah, kind of thing. And when I watch Matt Smith playing the doctor and I've seen a few episodes of Troughton, like, you know, back when I would go to conventions <laughs> back in the, back in the, before the nerd revolution of 2003, <laughs> um, when I would go to, you know, when it was only nerds at conventions. Right. Um, I, I saw, you know, I saw a few of the very first, uh, God, what was his name? William Hartnell episodes. Right. I saw a few Troughton episodes. And it's like, there is like a really interesting sort of callback to Matt Smith's performance. Cool. But it's, you know, I mean, you know, Matt Smith is kind of like younger and better looking and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, what I always thought was, was interesting is, uh, because when I was a fan of the old school Doctor Who back when I was in my teens, you know, I remember me and my nerdy friends were like, yeah, the doctors are always so old. And then when Peter Davison came on, he was like probably the youngest. I think he was the youngest doctor ever at that point. Right. And he was kind of like, oh, he's kind of, you know, I, I remember all, me and all my friends were, you know, like, ooh. <laughs> Is he Davison, the one with the ooh. with the celery? Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he was the shortest duration of the old school. Oh, interesting. Uh, up until that point, because he was only on, I think, for like two. It 
the seasons were they did it differently back then right um because i know tom baker i think was the doctor from like 1974 to like 1985 i want to say and then peter davison was only there from like 85 to 87 or something like that so yeah um who is your favorite classic peter davison Davison. yeah (laughs) i still have that sort of little uh you know grade school crush on on peter davison (laughs) yeah Um, And I thought he had some really great episodes, too. Like, some of his stuff, I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to say now because it's like I'm remembering from my, you know, high school self, basically. Um, But I would put some of the episodes that he did, like, nearly on par with New School. Really? Yeah, and, and some of the writing on some of his shows. Like, they were, one of the things they were really getting into... Um, and it like they were starting to go in an arc kind of a direction with him because he had uh, there was this companion that had come on during Tom Baker. Actually, there were three companions that came on during Tom Baker that stayed on for a while with Peter Davison. And mm-hmm. that was uh, Adric was one. And he was like this young kid who Tom Baker like collected from this alternate universe. Like they took him out of <laughs> his own universe kind of thing. And it's like, I didn't love him as a companion. He was kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, and there was Nyssa. Um, and then there was Tegan, who was Australian, and she was a stewardess for Qantas that <laughs> ended up like stumbling into the TARDIS by accident. Cool. Um, and then went on all these adventures. Um, but anyway, what happened, like Adric ended up getting, like he died and I think this was the first time like wow. any companion had died yeah. like on the doctor's watch. And what ended up happening is he was on this space spaceship and he was uh, he was a mathematics genius. So he was on the computer on this spaceship um, trying to get it to not crash to Earth. And mm-hmm. like basically this spaceship was the thing that crashed into Earth that killed the dinosaurs. Oh, um, and Adric ended up like he figured out the formula at the very last minute, but it was too late. And yeah. he ended up like dying in the spaceship. Wow. And it was the first time that this had ever happened to a companion on Doctor Who. And so it like it started taking a little bit of a darker turn mm-hmm. after that, which, you know, it had always been sort of this jolly children's program. And right. like you look through the the Tom Baker years and like, oh, I've got my scarf and my jelly babies and my hat and <laughs> You know, like serious things would happen, but there was never any fear that like, oh, the doctor's always going to make it. You know, the doctor and his companions are always going to make it out. And they always. And then Adric died. Right. And the game has changed. The game kind of changed a little bit. Cool. And Tegan actually left the show. Actually, I think she she made it through to uh, the sixth doctor. I think she left during Colin Baker's years, Mm -hmm. but she finally left because the violence was getting to be too much for her. She's like, I can't. The actress or the character? No, the character. Oh, okay. (laughs) She's like, so many people have died. I just can't. But like Adric was kind of the beginning of that. Interesting. Um, Like that, that turn. And so some of those Peter Davison episodes like do start to have a little bit more contemporary sensibility. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting how darkness is kind of a contemporary sensibility. 
The, it's well, like, I mean, look, <laughs> look at the world. Look at our this. times. Yeah, like totally. we're kind of living in a dystopia at the moment, or we're headed we in that direction. Are it's weird. <coughs> like things keep happening. I'm like, how is this possible? Like, uh, like well, yesterday, Trump fired Comey, um, and it's like he's fired everyone who's investigating his ties to Russia. You know, yeah. he's like talking about fake news. He's firing people who are investigating him. I mean. This, we're it's we're living in 1984 in 2017. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Like the actually, you know what we're moving towards is The Handmaid's Tale. I haven't read that. What's what's the premise? The premise, and also I don't know if you know, but it's they just made it into a Netflix series. Oh, cool! The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, which you should watch. I will as watch it as soon Absolutely. as you can. Yeah, it just started i think in april they're not releasing it all at once so i think cool. there are four episodes out now i just started it last week yeah and this is like i saw that there's a movie that came out in 1990 uh-huh. starring natasha richardson aiden quinn fred ward and faye dunaway nice. um <laughs> and i actually i went to see the movie in 1990 and on the way to see the movie i bought the book and uh-huh. And I'm very glad I did because the movie, you know, for two hours, like it was very engaging and it's a really good movie. But if you're watching a two hour movie, you, you're you not necessarily like, how did the world come to this? Yeah. And so I was very glad to have also bought the book and I started totally. reading it immediately. And the book was like, OK, now I know what happened. Yeah. And now we're living it. And now we're kind <laughs> of like Pence, like if Pence were to take over, I like. Know. Pence that. scares the shit out of me. I, I just want the Russia thing to take down the entire administration. We'll have a special election. We'll elect a new president. Knocking like, on that's, wood, that's like the only way out that I see. That's I mean, like, well, yeah, it's like the whole the whole administration needs to go. Yeah, totally. Um, it's terrifying. I mean, they're like they're like tickling at World War Three. It's like they almost want it to happen. I mean, any any totalitarian government needs to have war because you have to have an other to fight against, you know? If George Orwell because taught us anything, it's that. they're fighting against you. <laughs> exactly, exactly, totally. And, you know, I don't know. It scares, it scares me. It really scares me. Like, I am, you know, we live on the West Coast. Like, if someone decides to bomb the I West know. Coast, Bye. we're here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but more than that, like, more than even my own life that I'm worried about, I'm worried about, like, the future of humanity. I'm worried that we won't have a future. Yeah. Because, uh, like... Like, as much as I love post-apocalyptic fiction, I feel like the purpose of post-apocalyptic... <laughs> I can't speak. The purpose of post-apocalyptic fiction is... Is to not To, have to a, not do that. Yes, it's like exactly. to, to show you what could go wrong so that you take better... So you make better decisions. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. and that's why I like the genre. That's the value that I think it has and for there's, humanity. there's catharsis in it for me. That's why yeah. I, I love the genre. Like, I eat everything. Like, I devour all post-apocalyptic yeah. anything that I can get my hands on because it it makes me feel better about current events. Except now it doesn't so much because yeah. it's like, well, we're kind of edging into this. I mean, like a couple weeks ago where it was like, oh... We're possibly on the brink of nuclear war with North Korea right now. Right. So awesome. Right. Great. Glad I didn't have kids because <laughs> I would, you know, feel really bad about oh, you know, no. oh, here. Yeah. Here. Yeah. This is what we're leaving you. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot to process. Like we, America used to be the good guys. 
And now I feel like we're kind of the bad guys on the world stage. I mean, there's a lot of other bad guys that are worse yeah. than us, but I feel like we're no longer acting in a way that is like a, a positive force for, of change yeah. or responsible in any way. Uh, you know, I don't know. The, the fake news thing, I talked about this a couple episodes ago. The fake news thing really upsets me because I I feel like the whole idea of fake news is a method of control that is very insi- insidious and is that that's the right word, right? Yeah. Yeah, and like kind of creeps in and yeah. and can uh really change the minds of people who aren't paying close attention so that they're easier to control. I just watched They Live yesterday. Uh John Carpenter movie. Yep. yep. And I was like hooting and hollering at that movie because I loved it. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is like this is this is what we're living under, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh not just a not just a system of control, but but one in which you have people who right. are giving up their own free will for business interests, you know, to like get more money. Like everyone wants more money, right? Like these people are more powerful than us. We might as well just do what they want so that we can get money. Like that that whole line of thinking that the main characters oh, are fighting against in that movie, <laughs> I thought was brilliant. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to talk, talk much about this now because I'm actually about to record another podcast tonight about okay. John Carpenter. Okay, all right. Uh, but, but that's, you know... I don't know. That shit's been on my mind. Well, and this kind of going back to The Handmaid's Tale, just like episode three, where like the nice thing about this is because it's a series, they can take more time Mm, sort of doing flashbacks because they do flashbacks to sort of like the more recent past and then flashbacks to how things kind of came to what cool. they are so you get to see how it used to be so is the is the premise that like a totalitarian regime is taking over <laughs> very a very puritanical okay. and very like oh women should be in the home oh geez you know pence like yeah. this sort of things that pence seems to espouse you know wow. defunding planned parenthood and it's just like i like i was i was bawling in terror watching wow. episode three Watching some, it's like, this could be me and my friend in my living room talking about, oh yeah, we're going to go march because this isn't right. And then, you know, they're at their march. Like we were all at our freaking march on January 21st. Yeah. And at this march, like dudes came out with machine guns and started gunning down the crowd. Wow. I mean, that didn't happen at our our march, but how far away are we from that? Well, that woman was arrested for laughing at Jeff Sessions. That's exactly that, that was that crosses that right the line, there was you know, like, like that's terrifying no, to me. Yeah. Like since when is like <laughs> an outburst of laughter an offense that can get you arrested, you know? Since 2017. Apparently. When the person that you laugh at is the person in charge and they have the power to arrest you. Like that's terrifying. Like that that freaks me the fuck out. Because how many of us haven't laughed? Yeah, I mean, you know, when Jeff Sessions says that he thinks that he's reasonable or whatever it is, is that he said, uh, it's funny because he's completely irrational and like completely a very hateful person. Yeah. You know, like he he doesn't believe in women's rights. He doesn't believe in gay rights. Uh, he doesn't believe that people who are different from him are human, are human. <laughs> yeah, totally have the same value as he does. So uh, it's fucking disgusting. Well, it is. But also a good transition to like the reason we decided to do this podcast <laughs> right. is because you're doing this new post-apocalyptic project uh, kind of in response to all this. Yeah. So yeah, tell, tell me tell me everything. OK, well, it just it actually I took uh, I took this little writing class for two weeks at the what is it? North Seattle Community College uh, 
what's it called? Their continuing education. It was just this little writing for fun and profit class. And cool. a couple of my, my friends and I like took it together. Awesome. Just like, oh, it's oh, just two weeks. Like so much Let's fun. just do it. Yeah. I want to do that. And uh, it was, it was really informative. There were a lot of really great handouts. And then like we had homework from one weekend to the next. And the homework was either uh Write a query to a magazine about an article you'd like to write for them or write an introductory post for a blog you'd like to start. So uh, I kind of was thinking like, well, what would I, you know, what is something, because I have sort of like, I've got a blog on my uh on my website that it's just like anytime, you know, it's like, I don't write in it very regularly. Every time I think that there's like, oh, I should write about this, but it's not consistent. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking like, what could I start a blog about that would be of interest to me? And that like, you know, I can talk about endlessly and have a lot of, you know, pop culture references under my belt, you know, since I'm, you know, a young teenager (laughs) and I'm like, oh my God, I should totally start a post-apocalyptic blog. Yeah. (laughs) I wrote that first introductory post. Yeah for this class, um, just thinking like, this would be something that like, I could consistently, you know, commit to a blog post a week. Yeah. Uh, cause I, you know, I could talk about this subject ad nauseum. <laughs> um, cause you've got, you know, it's, it's like, you've got different categories within the post-apocalyptic genre, even that Absolutely. I could talk about. And I think I probably watch nearly every post-apocalyptic show that is currently on television. Yeah. Um, do you watch Colony? Yes, of is, course. Isn't it fucking awesome? I love it. Yeah. It's so good. And it's, it's, so it's gotten even good. better. Like recently, the last totally. few. It, it, season two started a little rough, but then they did. really, they picked really it up. ramped it up. They wow. really picked it up. I'm not caught up yet, but uh, I think it was episode four or five of season two. Um, the first episode of season two was awesome. And then they kind of went on this, this weird thing, like trying to escape back or trying to break back into the LA block that was a yeah. little... Uh, a, a little wonky. I don't know how to. I don't know what it was about it. I didn't like. Yeah. Um, and the storyline with the son Charlie that they'd saved, yeah. who was kind of losing it. Like I, I wasn't quite in on that story. Mm-hmm. But um, and then like the wife was no longer fighting, which was kind of a bummer. Right. But then when she picked back up the torch, I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. And then that that episode uh, where she does that was. Awesome. I think that show is very important to be watching right now. It It's like totally along the lines of what we're talking about, about yeah. how you can like someone else takes control who takes away your freedom. And then you have the choice to either fight or to submit and, and become a part of the problem because it will, yeah. because they will give you material things if you submit, you know, yeah. uh, because your life is better, but you're essentially a traitor to your own species. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Woo. the premise of colony yeah. for anyone who hasn't seen it is that, you we're watching a show about an alien occupation that's been going on since before the show started mm-hmm. where aliens have come down at first we don't even know that they're aliens but yeah. uh it's pretty obvious that yeah. they're aliens aliens have come and have taken over uh the entire planet everyone lives inside of these little blocks they're like zoos right. of humans and you get to go about your daily life if you are a collaborator and like collaborate with the aliens and do what they tell you to mm-hmm. and then there's this resistance movement that's happening uh and it's it's a brilliant show first season was perfect the first season there was like not a moment where i felt like they were dropping the ball uh season two 
it, and actually, I mean, this is it's Carlton Cuse is running this show yeah. who wrote Lost, mm-hmm. and it was very similar to season two of Lost, where they introduced a bunch of new things that didn't feel quite right, yeah. But then they kind of turned it into yeah. something that worked, yeah. And now yeah. season two is shaping up to be just as good or better than season one, just like Lost, which is cool. Yeah, it's it's like it's very much sort of like a contemporary version of V, which I don't know if you watched. I haven't seen that. I'm familiar with it, but the, I haven't the seen 80s it. V, yeah, as opposed to the 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 Marina Baccarin one. Yeah. Which I watched, but meh. Wasn't so hot. It wasn't so good. Yeah. I heard the first episode was great, and then they spent all of their special effects budget on the first episode. <laughs> so then, like, the next time you saw the spaceships or whatever, they looked totally <laughs> shitty. Is that true? I can't even remember. Like, it, uh, I thought it, it was cool when they brought back, uh, they brought in the actress Jane Badler, like, towards the end, and she was the original big bad on the. 80s v series who played diana oh fun I and love they that. brought her back as marina baccarin's mom fun and her name was still diana fun awesome. which you know obviously it wasn't quite the same thing and and she was actually more sympathetic to the humans which yeah. was interesting not but, the same character but definitely but like a, definitely, a different version of the same character. yeah yeah like yeah. a rebooted character because she was yeah. definitely like the big bad fun. of the first I love series that kind of shit um but so, and then it kind of like I think that was about where like the show kind of fell apart and they didn't renew it and they didn't mm. resolve it. And, oh bummer! I'm probably yeah. not going to watch V because yeah. like I it, it's if hard. you were to watch one, I would say watch the, the original, the two original movies from oh, the eighties because cool. there were two movies and then there was a series and the series was yeah. But the two movies were were fun for you know a 13 year old <laughs> you just reminded me of something else that's also a post-apocalyptic sci-fi show on netflix called three percent have you seen that oh no i haven't seen that one. i yet. think it's brazilian it's from brazil Ooh. brazilian uh <laughs> i don't know why i tripped <laughs> over that word i'm pretty sure it's brazilian but i'm not 100 sure um it's like uh it's this horrible future in which like society is completely crumbled except for this this place called the offshore it's like an island where all Mm. high society lives and then there's this selection process Mm -hmm. where only three percent of everyone who applies gets to go to the offshore so it's like the three percent of the best of humanity Uh get to go live in the offshore and uh so it's it's the story of these teenagers going through these trials to see if they get to be a part of the real good society offshore but but the whole thing is very obviously a uh, a system of control yeah. to keep the masses in control and who knows if the offshore is even real right. you know i'm like five episodes in and i'm watching it slowly but i but every episode has been awesome like wow. really beautifully shot it seems like they made a hell of a lot with a very small budget mm-hmm. like it doesn't look like they have a lot of money so they put their they put their efforts into costume design and uh and sets i think uh-huh. that they found a place to shoot because it doesn't look like they built the set for the show. It looks like right. they found a place and dressed it. Oh, nice. But it looks very convincing as this facility where they're doing this testing. Um, and then there's the slums outside of this place where all like all the people live. And it's very compelling. And at first I was having a problem. Is it subtitled? So yeah, that's actually what yeah. I was just going to say. At first I was like, I can only watch this when I can look at it because right, it's subtitled. Right, right, okay. But I just realized that they do have... Um, they do have uh what's it called when they dub dub yeah they have a dubbed version so yeah i know like the dub version's like not as great but if you're sitting on the couch knitting and you don't want to look at the screen it's nice yeah Yeah, that's true uh or if like sometimes i'm really late at night i just can't focus on reading you know yeah like uh my eyes are just tired and reading is a little tiring so i just 
like to put the dubs on. Yeah. But I just did that with one episode so far, and I really liked it. Oh, so, good. Okay. Yeah, I used to not do that. I used to like to hear the actors' real voices, but laziness prevails sometimes. All right, we're going to pause the conversation right there. We'll be back with a whole lot more talk about post-apocalyptic TV and Carolyn's blog next week. I have to say, right after we recorded this podcast, I finished watching the first season of 3% on Netflix, and I really want to double down on my recommendation that you watch it because it was fucking awesome. The story did not go where I thought it was going to go, and it, it started to unravel into all these new directions right at the end of the season, and I'm super excited about season two. I'm pretty sure it's been renewed for season two. Uh, yeah, so go check it out on Netflix. I did a little bit of work this week on my website, so if you're interested in learning more about my frequent guests on the show, like Sarah, Ryan, uh, Jeff, you can head on over to jessemercury.com. Under the podcast tab, click on Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury and then Featured Guests, and you'll find uh, all sorts of people. Ryan, Sarah, Jeff, Barton, Annika, Johnny Unicorn, and then some of the more famous people that I've had on the show, if I might say so. Uh, Hanahate, Manu, and Taremi. Like, who are they? They're from Star Trek. It's very exciting for me. So, yeah, you can check that out in my website. And then you can find a list of all of the episodes that my frequent guests are on. Like, you can click on Sarah's page, and then you can find a quick list of every episode that she's been on. She's been on eight episodes. I said last time that she was my most frequent guest. I was wrong. It's definitely Jeff. Jefferson Salamander, a.k.a. Audrey Tapia, a.k.a. Audrey the Great, since she's been coming on doing Next Generation since the very first episode, and she's been on 10 so far. So it's a little fun project for me to kind of organize these things for the people who come on a lot. And I'd love for you to check it out, jessemercury.com. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash sci-fi project to learn more about becoming a patron and gaining access to my premium sci-fi project podcast available at $2 a month or more. I haven't mentioned this in a while, but uh, check out my sci-fi synth pop album. I'm so proud of the music that I've put out so far. Uh, You can find it at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. You're hearing some of it right now, you lucky son of a bitch. In two weeks, Ryan Casey's back. We're continuing the director's series with a discussion of John Carpenter's sci-fi movies. So if you want to prepare, the movies that I watched to get ready for this were They Live, Starman, Escape from New York, Ghost of Mars. What was the other one? Oh, and The Thing. Awesome, awesome movies. So if you want to be in on the conversation, those are the main ones we talked about, although we did touch on every single John Carpenter movie. Uh, at least by name uh, is a fun conversation and then after that Johnny Unicorn and Naomi Adele Smith are coming back on the show and we're going to talk about the Terminator franchise because we're preparing to record the trial of Terminator Genesis for sci-fi on trial so we talked about the first four Terminator movies in preparation for that it was super fun lots of great stuff to look forward to coming up very soon on the show thank you so much for joining us this week can't wait to see you next time until then stay nerdy out there <laughs>